New Creation Realities. By Rod Anderson. Lesson 8. Father, once again, we thank you for your word. We trust you to help us. Grant us understanding, Father. We need understanding. We need you by your spirit to communicate these things to us in such a way that we actually hear it. So we trust you and we ask you to help us now in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Amen. We're just going to look uh, at the topic of substitution and identification. Substitution, the word means to act or to be used in place of another, one taking the place of another. Identification means to consider and treat as the same, having a strong tie that makes you think, feel, and act like the one identified with. Those are just simple definitions taken right out of a dictionary. But in Scripture, this is the principle that's taught in a Bible college all through the New Covenant, which is the understanding about substitution and identification. In other words, really looking at what Jesus Christ did for us and then learning who we are in our identity in Him. And as I've said, one of the things that we were taught when we were at school is we did indeed have, we had to go through and depending on who and how you count, who you listen to and how you count, in the, for, in, the, in the New Testament, in the epistles, you know, all the way from the book of Acts up to the book of Revelation, uh, the way I read it, there's 146 scriptures, maybe 147, 140 scripture, 46 scriptures that speak about in, being in Him or in whom or in Christ. And that speaks to our identification, who we are in Him. And those are the things that you learn to begin to speak over your life. It's in Him that we live and move and have our being. I'm in Him. My life is hid in Christ. But what He did for us is just that. It speaks of substitution. And again, we're not teaching on healing, but just to make a statement about this, when you see about how, well, like this, let's look at the first verse, substitution. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, for he hath made him to be sin for us. Is that right? For us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. But the Bible says God made Jesus to be sin for us. In other words, to take upon himself, and we read later, of course, that he took upon himself the penalty, didn't he? He paid the penalty. That's what the cross was all about. Isn't that the basic message of our Christianity? Somebody say yes. Talk to me. I know you're, well, you're not all English, but help me out here. He, he is, that's the basis of our Christianity. He took on that cross the penalty. God is a righteous God and righteousness demands death for sin. But God's also a loving God, so it created a dilemma. Here we have a God who the penalty for sin is death. So he had to find somebody so that his righteous requirements were met. And he so loved us that he sent his own son. This is the incredible story of the cross and grace. So that the penalty for all sin was laid upon his son. He that knew no sin was made to be sin for us so that we might be made the righteousness of God. 
So he was our substitute. He went to the cross for us, right? Right? I'm looking for, I'm going to get you. <laughs> he went to the cross for us. Now, while that's so simple, while you all say yes to that so quickly, as we go through this, you see the whole principle of studying this book is to really come to grips with that, what he did for you. Now, let me just give you a little illustration of what I mean by this. Let's say my, the car, our ministry automobile that I drive here, that people mover thing, and you know, I've got it parked over in the Corporation of London's car park right now. Let's say when I get done, you know, I asked Adam back there, Adam, go get my car for me, would you? Here's the keys, go get the car. Would you please move it over here, move it, bring it to the front of the church for me. So I go along, I get done, Adam does that. Adam comes back up here. I said, Adam, where's the keys? And he says, they're here. And I said, good, I'm gonna go bring the car from the garage. I'm gonna go walk to the car and bring the car back. And he said, well, why? I know I did it for you. Remember you gave me the keys and I did it for you? Well, yeah, I know, but I'm gonna walk back over there anyhow and get the car and bring it back to the church. And he goes, but I, Rod, I, I've already gone and got it. And you don't have to walk all the way over there. I walked all the way over there for you. I drove it back. It's sitting in front of the church now. Well, I know, but I need to go get it because it's my car and I need to go get it because it's, I, I parked it over there. Rod, I just, Rod, I, I just moved it for you. If you go over there, it's not going to be there because I've done it for you. It's over here in front of the church. I know, but I need to go get my car. Now, if I keep saying that to Adam, he's going to think, you know, like the old saying goes, the lights are on, but nobody's home. You know, like I got one oars in the water, one oars out of the water. There's something wrong. He would seriously think, wouldn't you? You'd seriously think there's something amiss in this guy because you're going to go and, and think about what if I did this? What if I got the keys, went and got my car in front of the church, drove it back to the garage and then drove it back here again? Now, hopefully you'd think that that's a little silly, right? Right? It's foolish to do that. I mean, why would you want, I can do that though, I could do that. I could get the car, go drive it, park it, lock it, get out of it, look at it for a moment, unlock it, get back in it, drive it over here if I wanted to, because I could do that with the car. But, you know, Adam would be sitting back there going, this guy is nuts. Something's wrong with the dude. You know what I mean? This guy is crazy. He was my substitute. He, he did that for me uh, so that I don't have to go over there and do it. So for me to try to go do or to re retrace the steps and take it back and do it a second time is, is something that will not make sense to the man who's just done it for you. I mean, it just won't make sense. And yet a person can walk, I can walk to that garage if I want to. I can get in my car and drive it back there. You've got to understand when you study scripture, when you go back to the Old Testament, Exodus, this is why you do study like the whole principle of a scapegoat, remember, the two goats. You know, the scapegoat, they got one goat, they laid hands on the one goat and they pronounced all the sins of Israel upon it. And then that one goat was taken by a strong man out into the wilderness and let go, never to be seen again. And the second goat, you know, they slaughtered and they sacrificed and they took the blood of that goat and they sprinkled upon the people for the remission, for, for the atonement for sin. But Jesus Christ, you see, is that scapegoat. That's a type of Christ. He, he took, those goats took 
the sin of Israel into a far place to never be seen again. The other one was a sacrifice. And it speaks again to the penalty for the sin and the very nature and the problem of what caused the sinning. But I'm just saying, you really have to just think about this. When you read the scriptures, you have to see and understand what heaven sees and understands. Jesus Christ was our substitute. Why do you want to go to the cross when he went to the cross for you? It's like today, there's a lot of wrong teaching about the suffering that we're supposed to go through as Christians. Listen, there is suffering. We will have suffering if we serve Christ. But honestly, the suffering that the Bible teaches is persecution. For example, not sickness and disease. Do you hear me? It's not sickness and disease. The Bible teaches that there is a suffering. But the point is, again, you don't try. It's like when people say, well, again, you know, God put that on me. And it's just, see, that's so heinous to God to hear that because of the fact that, again, God's not the author of sickness and disease. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, of the devil. But the point is, he was our substitute. He bore on that tree our sin, that we being dead to sin should live under righteousness, by whose stripes we were healed. And so you have to really think about that. Wait a second, if he did this for me, if he did this for me, if he paid this for me, if he bore this for me, I don't have to bear it. This is why, again, you study what he bore. This is why you do study Deuteronomy, the curse of the law, Deuteronomy 28. And you look at all that stuff from verse 15 onward all the way through. Because anything that's in there is the curse of the law, isn't it? In Deuteronomy 28, from, you know, uh, all the way through from verse 15, it names all the blessings in the first 14 verses. And then from verse 15, 16 afterwards, it speaks of all these curses shall come upon you if you break this law. But see, Galatians 3.13 says, But Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, having been made a curse for us, so that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles through faith. Right? Right? <laughs> so you go back to Deuteronomy and you read everything that's in there. Madness, itch, the botch of Egypt, <laughs> insanity, uh, barren wombs, and you begin to see, wait a second, those things are part of the curse. He bore that for me. So I have authority and I have a legal understanding now. It's like a contract that you begin to understand. Wait a second. You know, now an outlaw, you have to understand that's why people call Satan an outlaw spirit. He's an outlaw. An outlaw breaks the law. You understand? It's against the law for somebody to come into your house and steal your things, isn't it? Isn't it? But they can still do that if they break in, can't they? But that doesn't make it right, does it? Does it? If you knew there was a thief coming, you could make arrangements somehow, some way, a big dog, something, and you would make sure they didn't give in. So the issue is not whether or not there is a legitimate thief out there. But you have to understand just that he's a thief. He steals what isn't his. You hear me? Healing is the children's bread. Being blessed in this life is the children's bread. But all of those things are going to be stolen from us as believers through a lack of knowledge. 
first and foremost, or through by allowing him to steal, again, by us having our guard down. So, here's our substitute. <laughs> First Peter 2.24, I just quoted, but I'll read it again. It says, Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree that we being dead to sin should live under righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. Romans 3.25 and 26 says, Whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, God had passed over the, over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. And then the words, when it says propitiation, the word propitiation means a covering. It's the same word there that's used for like the cover on the ark. And it says that Jesus Christ was our covering. He became a covering for us. Just like that blood that covered and was remission of sin or whatever, he became the covering force. He, he assumed our obligations, it says. He expiated our sin. In other words, he said, I've got it covered. And it's, it's just like, have you ever gone to dinner at, at a restaurant with somebody and the bill comes and you ask the people to come or whatever and somebody says, they grab the bill from you and say, now I've got it covered. You ever had, you know, ever? It's nice when that happens. <laughs> but, uh, well... <laughs> There was a handwriting of laws, remember, and ordinances against us. Jesus took it to his cross, nailed it to the cross, taking it out of our way. He said, I got it covered. <laughs> the decrees and with all its pronouncements, it says, he took to the cross. And all the pronouncements, remember, are the curses that will come upon people for disobedience and all those things. He took them to his cross, nailed them to his cross, taking them out of the way for us. You hear me? See, all of these things, when this stuff begins to, again, get written upon the fleshly tablets of your heart, you begin to realize, it's like other men have said long before I did, when you really begin to understand that, you realize that heaven is working according to a, a system of heavenly jurisprudence. There's a, there's, a, there's a law. There's a spiritual laws that are involved here. And when you begin to realize that things are being, you're being transgressed against, you're being trespassed against, see, you bring out your contract to the court of heaven. And just like you take a rental contract or a contract to a court of law here, and you say, this was signed, and it's right here, it's a contract, they are not allowed to do that. And the judge says, yep, that's right. It says right there, that's what's done. This is what's happened. Uh, that's unlawful. You have to get out. Well, that's similarly, this is not a joke. This is not just being a clever little preachy, teachy stuff. This is what this becomes. You have to know your covenant so that you can say, wait a second. Because remember, go back to the basics, guys. Remember, Jesus Christ himself is our pattern, right? Remember, Jesus Christ has gone out into the wilderness. He's gone out for 40 days of fasting. And he hungers and Satan comes to him. Remember, Satan himself comes to him. And the three basic, you know, the, the three major areas of all temptation, the lust of the eyes, like I said, lust of the, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. And again, he's our pattern. What does Jesus Christ himself do to resist the temptation of the devil? He says what? It is written. It is written. It is written. Now that was Jesus. But again, he's our pattern. 
So if it was good enough for him, isn't, it, it better be good enough for you because it's the only pattern the Bible gives. You need to know what's written. Remember, I'll go all the way back. I referred to it again when Satan, the first three words of the devil in the Bible, the first three words of Lucifer are, hath God said. He questions your knowledge of what God has said. Do you remember? And he bound Eve. He got her into, into deception because Eve said, we cannot eat of any tree of the garden, neither shall we touch it lest we die. But in Genesis 2, God didn't say anything about touching it. He just said, don't eat of it. And oh, there's an old Jewish maxim that you find in the old commentaries. It says, the moment she said, neither shall we touch it, it said, because it says, remember that time, the serpent evidently, it says in the scripture, walked upright. That the moment she said, neither shall you touch this tree, that he went, <laughs> like bumped her. There's this old Jewish maxim that talks about how, that he just gonna touch it. And she touched it. She didn't die in her thought. And then she went ahead and ate of it. In other words, that he took her misknowledge of what God had said and used it to entrap her. And that's the prime root, I said before, of all deception is your misknowledge of what God has said. But Jesus with Satan himself said, it is written. And that was enough for Jesus to withstand the temptation of the devil himself. But even then, understand this. Do you know that the next verse says there in Luke 4 that when Jesus in the final temptation said, it is written, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. It says Satan then left him, and in the Amplified it says it real well. Satan, Satan left him for more and until an, another more opportune season. And favorable time, I think it says. But I mean, even with Jesus Christ himself, the Bible says Satan left temporarily. You gotta understand, he only leaves us temporarily. He'll come again with another bait. But the issue is, the answer is still the same. You have to know what's written. And pretty soon, you see, you begin, you begin to understand, like I said about healing or what have you, when stuff comes, I said, no, 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 no. It is written, Jesus Christ himself took my infirmities. He bore my sicknesses. By his stripes I was healed. It is written. It is written. It is written. It is written. He took my infirmities. He bore my sicknesses. That's what's been written. It's written in the courts of heaven. It's written upon the tablets of my heart. But there's still a thief that tries to come and say, well, in your case, you're extra special. <laughs> you're extra special. You see, you remember when you sinned last week? Remember when you messed up the last week and you did this and then see, it, it, it gave me the right. It gave me the right to come into your body. And now I just get to stay there as long as I want. Now, here's where I have to say, well, yeah, you're right. I blew it. So, oh, I can never get, not because, you know, I messed up. But you say, oh, well, thank you, because you just overplayed your hand. You're right, I did. That's when it happened, isn't it? Father, I sin. I have a mediator between you and me, even the Lord Jesus Christ. And I come to you now in that name, and I ask you to cleanse me, forgive me. And you said you'd be faithful and just to cleanse me from all, any unrighteousness. So thank you right now. Receive my forgiveness. I am totally clean, totally right before you. Now, in the name of Jesus Christ, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. You're unlawful. Get out of my flesh. Leave me alone. And you actually, and I'm not trying to be clever right now, but you basically, you start to get like that. And you begin to understand, like when you read about Wigglesworth, I, one of my favorite stories of Wigglesworth, of course, is when he wakes up, remember, in the middle of the night, because I met, see, I, I actually ministered for three days down in the South, and I had this old lady, an old man, Harold and Alice Berry. Julie can tell you about it, my wife, sometime. 
I ministered for three days, and this old couple, tall, big old giant oak of a man, he was 86, and, and, and Alice, Harold, yeah, and Alice was 85. And he had the bluest eyes of any man I'd ever seen, about six foot five, big man, just gentleman. I mean, and you're gonna laugh when I say this. The thing I always remember about Harold Barrymore than anything was his breath. He had the sweetest breath of any, any person I've ever been around in my life. And I always laugh about that because I found a scripture that in Psalms and Proverbs says the very, the very breath of the wicked spreads pollution. So I know if you're wicked by your breath. <laughs> I have to be careful now when I get done preaching that I have several breath mints here. <laughs> but I was ministering along the first night, then the second day, and they kept coming up to me and telling me how much they appreciated the ministry and my teaching. And, and they were sharing, you know how it is when you go to church and people are kind of, they're very kind and they're patting you on the back and what have you. And I said, well, that's very kind of you. And they asked me to come over for tea. And I said, well, I'd like to, but I said, I'm here, I, you know, I'm here with, at the pastor's behest and I don't know what the schedule is and thank you very much. And on the last day in the morning, I still had two sessions ago, the pastor came to me in the morning and said, do you know who that old couple is? And I said, well, no, I don't. And he said, well, it's Harold and Alice Berry. And I said, well, I don't know who Harold and Alice Berry are. And he said, well, Alice is Smith Wigglesworth's granddaughter. And he said, Harold is the man that traveled with him for the last seven years of his life. And I went, oh. <laughs> you know, I mean, seriously, because, you know, you can't not read how God used Smith Wigglesworth and not be moved. And so when they approached me after that next session, I mean, I just was kind of stumbling. I said, you know, I'm, I'm just, uh, I, you know, what can I say? The pastor just told me who your grandfather was. And, and I stumbled. I said, you know, I'm, you know, I'm say the least, very honored to meet you because I, like everybody else I'm sure you've met, is sets, we stand in awe of what happened through your grandfather's faith, you know. And so we chatted and talked, and she, uh, I could tell you a lot of things that they shared with me, but she said, uh, they called him grandfather. They said, well, you know, we think, you know, people still call us about grandfather all the time. She said, but we feel everything that's been said could be, has been said. And, and neat little things that happened. I remember like when I'd prayed for some people, some people did fall out in the spirit. And, and um, I always remember one of the questions Harold asked me, he came up to me and he had his, and he said, he said, Brother Anderson, he said, can I ask you a question? He said, you know, I'm concerned today. This was years ago. He said, I'm concerned today. He said, you know, um, when grandfather prayed for people, he said, uh, sometimes they fell over too. He said, but in that day, he said, when they got up, he said, their lives gave glory to God. He said, this little simple thing that only an 87-year-old man could say, you know, that it made me think so deep. I said, yeah, I understand what you mean. Today, people fall over because they think it's a thing to do. But in that day, he said, when people went down, when they got up, they were different. Because <laughs> something had touched them, you know. But anyhow, one of my favorite stories, I can tell you about and stuff about that, but one of my favorite, st favorite stories, like I said, about how you get like this when you're dealing with this stuff, is Wigglesworth, when he's awoken, because all these people that would travel, and they'd sleep in the same rooms and places, and, and Wigglesworth woke up. He was awoken, it says, in the middle of the night, and the actual manifestation of Satan was at, his, at the foot of his bed. I don't know if you've ever read this part, but he wakes up, and it says he wakes up, something wakes, his, wakes him up, the bed shakes, and he wakes up, he sits up in bed, and he looks at the foot of his bed, and it's Satan himself standing at the foot of his bed. And Wigglesworth goes, Wigglesworth goes, oh, it's you. He lays back down, falls, falls back, just not bothered. You know, which is what you do, right? I tell you, if I can tell you one other story, and this is not, I'm not making this up. One of my teachers, I don't know if you've ever heard of Dr. Lester Sumrall. Dr. Lester Summerall was one of my teachers. Summerall worked with Wigglesworth for the last three years of his life. And Summerall was one of my teachers. He's probably the man that knew more about really demons than anybody that lived. 
uh, I mean legitimate stuff. His incredible man of God. He worked with Howard Carter. Howard Carter, the first Bible school of faith here in Hampstead, London. Yeah, when that whole thing started, the China Inland Mission stuff and what have you. He and his son and Raymond T. Ritchie were in a room in the Philippines. And Ritchie tells a story about that. Ritchie's dead now too. His son rather tells a story about how they're in this, the Philippines and they're in like this, this house. It's a house that's up on stilts, you know, like that. If you've seen these kind of things, it's got a bed against the wall, bed against the wall, bed against the wall. If you can see that, there's one big square room, bed against each wall in the middle. And he was coming, he'd come and stuff had just torn this whole area apart. And Summerall had incredible discernment about things in the spirit. And he had, he had, I mean, this guy walked in boldness. He, he, I don't want to open a can of worms here. He wakes up one, one night, they hear that they, oh, the whole room has lights up with lights and starts to shake and this heavy demonic presence comes in. And Wigglesworth's bed starts to shake. And his bed, they said, shook. And it shook all the way and his whole bed moved all the way into the center of the room, just shaken under this demonic power. And Wigglesworth sit up, I mean, I mean uh, and uh, Summerall sits up in bed and uh, Richie and his son said, and Summerall sits up in bed and goes, Satan, stop. In Jesus' name. And his, oh, I forgot. His bed was raised up in the air. I forgot. His bed was elevated in the air. And he said, Satan, stop. And it went boom, like that. It just stopped. And everything left. And everything, everything was cool. And, and Summerall lays back down to fall asleep. <laughs> Listen to this. And suddenly he says, they said, Dr. Summerall raised back up. And he said, Satan, come back here. <laughs> Put my bed back. And, said, and they said, the bed went. <laughs> Went all the way back. That is not a story. I'm not telling you a joke. I mean, I've never forgotten that one. That's, that's not a joke. I'm not telling you a joke. There are some men who knew God. There are some men that knew God and knew their covenant, you see. And there's some more being raised today. But they understood this thing is not a story that we read. It's not a teaching that we cerebrally understand or comprehend. We're talking about a living God who's either done what he said he's done or he hasn't. But I repeat, you see, you, you have a million, Paul said, be, he said, woe unto them, he said, to anybody who comes where there's another Christ that comes bringing another gospel, let him be accursed, right? There's another gospel out there that is not the gospel. You do understand that. Not all Israel is Israel. Not every church that calls itself a church is a church. You have to understand that. It's just like she asked me the question about call for the elders of the church. Elders in the church in scripture have nothing to do with position in a body. Have nothing to do with position in a church. It doesn't mean man appointed. Elders in the church are always determined by the level of anointing they function in. Elders are people who are anointed, not people who are appointed. Hallelujah. There's all the difference in the world, in the world between calling for somebody that's, oh, never mind, I'll get in trouble. <laughs> Let me get back to this outline. Uh, he was pierced, verse Isaiah 53, 5 and 6, again, substitution. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. See, in other words, again, this is what he was a substitute for. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. It's a basic heartbeat of our Christianity. Identification, though, like I said, now remember that up here, the definition identification is to consider and treat as the same, having a strong tie that makes you think, feel, and act like the one identified with. 
Here's again the verse I've been quoting, Galatians 2.20. Paul said, I, just like when Jesus went to that cross, he said, it was like I went to that cross. I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life that I live in this body right now, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Colossians 2.15, and again, this is past tense, having disarmed the powers and authorities, Jesus made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by his cross. Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Anyhow, but he disarmed. Next page, Colossians 3.3, identification still. For you died, you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. I'd like to take about four hours and teach on that verse. <laughs> your life is hidden with Christ, in Christ, with God, hidden with Christ in God. Isaiah 32, 17 is really a prophetic statement. I want you to turn to Isaiah 32, though. I want to read this from the Amplified Bible. Because there's just, there's just some stuff here I want you to just read. It says in verse 12, it's talking about, again, all the problems of the land. It says, they shall beat upon their breasts for the pleasant fields, for the fruitful vine. Verse 13, for the land of my people. Now, as I read this, though, I want you to think a couple of ways. But one of the ways I want you to think about is when it talks about the wilderness, I want you to think about you before you're saved, your body a desert. It's a dry, barren place because you have no life in it. Okay. Now listen for the land of my people, because you're God's people has is grown over with thorns and briars. Yes. For all the houses of joy in the joyous city. Verse 14 for the palace shall be forsaken. The populous city shall be deserted. The hill and the watchtower should become dens for wild animals endlessly. A joy for wild donkeys, a pasture for flocks. In other words, that's to a degree, speaking of the state of what our life was like before. But then it says in verse 15, until the Spirit is poured upon us from on high. And then this wilderness that is our spirit becomes a fruitful field. The fruitful field is valued as a forest. Then justice will dwell in the wilderness. Righteousness, moral and spiritual rectitude in every area in relation will abide in the fruitful field. And that fruitful field is your soil of your heart right now. But here's that verse 17. And the effect of this righteousness will be peace, internal and external. And the result of this righteousness will be quietness and confidence and confident trust forever. And then verse 18 says, for my people shall dwell in a peaceable habitation, in a safe dwelling and in a quiet resting place. And that's actually a prophecy about what we're to have today. And it speaks to Hebrews where it says in Hebrews 4, we which believe are to enter into rest. Hallelujah. And this is what I'm talking about. See the right standing. This thing you need to listen to over and over and over again because it's what brings peace. The effect of righteousness is that there's a peace that comes into your soul, into your life. I'm not worried about dying. You see what I'm trying to say? Death loses its sting. Death loses its sting. Sin has lost its power over me because I've been born from above. Heaven is my eternal destination. My ticket's been punched, hallelujah. 
that's where I'm going to spend eternity. I'm down here for a while, but my life is but a vapor. It appears and it vanishes away. I'm here for a while. But while I'm here, I'm not going to worry about sin. I'm going to enjoy the revelation of having right standing with God and use it to do something. Stability, righteousness and peace shall be the stability of your times, it says in another translation. Righteousness shall be the stability of your times. I mean, I'm right with God. Paul said, what can man do to me? What can man do to me? Why do you fear man, he said, who's here and then he's gone? Why do you fear man? This is, again, you see, this is why I, with young people, I try to tell them, Go for it. Go to university. Go to school. Go for that job. Go for it. Do it. Quit thinking little of yourself. Quit thinking you can't. Understand God is with you. You can. Just go in His name, in His strength. And these things begin to add up, like I said. And, and you know, it's the old maxim they have in the world. People always, there's always going to be, the majority of people always tell you that something can't be done. But always remember, the people that say it can't be done always get run over by somebody doing it. Remember? It sounds like just a clever humorism, but it's the truth. It's by people, a lot of people get angry at my wife. My wife has a spirit of faith on her. She's a visionary. She sees things. She just does it, and it makes them mad. Number one, because she's a woman. Number two, because she's got more faith than they do. And she just does stuff that everybody else says she's not supposed to do. But it's too late because she just does it. <laughs> And then they get all mad at her because she's done it. And really, it's because it shows them up. Isaiah 32, 17 is a prophetic statement. And the work of righteousness shall be peace, internal and external. And the result of righteousness, quietness and confident trust forever. Jesus was made sin with our sins. He was made weak. He was made weak with our weaknesses. He was made a failure with our failures. He was made sick with our sicknesses. He was made unrighteous with our unrighteousness. After he put all that away, after he satisfied every claim of justice, he was made alive, quickened by the Spirit of God, made righteous in the Spirit, it says, and then by the new birth, he makes us his righteousness by being in him. Hallelujah. He doesn't... Does it or does it not say that he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit with the Lord? Does it say that? Are any of you born again? Well, ha then have you been joined to the Lord? Well, you have been, whether you know it or not. And he that is joined in the Lord is one spirit with the Lord. One. God's the only person that can take two and make one. We take one plus one and make two. God takes two and makes one out of it. Hallelujah. In him, we become one. We are Christians, little Christs, little anointed ones. And we're supposed to walk in that kind of authority. But again, you've got a million false teachers and a million messed up doctrines and a million naysayers that will tell you, no, 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 no. Do not listen to that. Do not listen to that. I tried that and it didn't work. Hebrews 2.11, for both he that sanctifies and they who are sanctified are 
all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them his brethren. Hallelujah. Isn't that a wonderful thought? Jesus Christ is not ashamed to look at you and say, that's my brother and that's my sister. Hebrews eleven sixteen says, but now they desire a better country that is in a heavenly one. Wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God for he hath prepared for them a city. I mean, thank God this is a temporary life down here. It seems to be the only life there is right now, but friends, this is just the dress rehearsal. This is not the big deal. Romans 8, 33, and think about this now. Who shall lay, Paul said, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Now listen to this next paragraph. Who elected us? God did. There's only one person in the universe that can bring a charge against us, and that is Jesus. And Jesus will not bring a charge against us because it was he who died for us. (laughs) Now he ever lives to make intercession for us at the Father's right hand. Who recreated us? God did. Who gave us eternal life? God did. Who made us sons and daughters of God? God did. It is all of God. We are accepted in the beloved and the Father rejoices over it because we are his own children. So point three, Jesus took our punishment upon himself. Number four, we are one with him. So the summary of all that bit is that Jesus was the propitiation of the covering for our sin. We're identified with him in every way and all that he did belongs to us. Then this law of identification, I want to move over this quickly because I want to just get to a couple little bits of the other thing, but I'm just going to read them, okay? Our complete union with Christ, like I've already spoken to, we are one with Christ as I've just shared. 1 John 4, 17 says, in this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. Hallelujah. Because in this world, we are like him. Do you have confidence for the day of judgment? See, that's what God wants you to all have. He wants you to know you, I'm not afraid. Yes, yes, yes. See, there's a judgment coming. But no, 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 I'm not afraid of it because it's not coming on me. Because Romans 5 says the wrath of God was expended upon his son that we might be delivered from the wrath to come. Hallelujah. There's wrath coming, but not on me. But you can act like it if you want to. Philippians 1.21, Paul said, For me to live is Christ and to die is but gain. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 and 11. I see again, I'm just throwing these out here because you have to see how all these truths add up into one huge truth. He said, your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus, of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Hallelujah. But that first verse, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ. The key words, as I've already spoken to, are in him or with Christ in whom, because these show our identification with Christ. Colossians 3, 3, for you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. Ephesians 2, 6, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. 
Then I put down again just the vital points of our identification is that number one, we're crucified with Christ. That's what Romans 6, 6 says, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. And again, when you read these things, you need to ask yourself a question, is this truth? Have we been crucified? Is it true that our old man was crucified with him? And hopefully, you see, by faith, you have to say, well, yeah, it's true. Your old man is your old nature. That old nature that actually caused the sinning, it says it was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed. So this is something I can say this is past it. See, the body of sin has been destroyed. I no longer have to serve sin. I don't serve sin. I serve God. I mess up every once in a while, but I don't intentionally sin. And you find yourself being able to go for longer and longer and longer without any conscious awareness of having sinned at all. I want to tell you, that isn't boasting. That's, that's humbling. You've, you just, it's just incredible, the power of God's grace. We died with him, Romans 6, 8. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. 2 Timothy 2, 11, It is a faithful saying, for if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. We were buried with him, Colossians 2, 12, buried with him in baptism. Wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who raised him from the dead. Today, the Bible says, you know, now don't get mad at me when I do this thing, okay? Because I'm not bothered. I'm not a legalistic person, but it is true. You know, you see a lot of, especially like people from Eastern Europe or what have you, but, or from Latin American countries who wear the crucifix with cross, with Christ still on it. You know, and the reason... That's not as accurate as it should be is because, of course, Christ is no longer on that cross, is he? But what people have been taught is to identify with his suffering. When the scripture says we're supposed to identify with the likeness, not of his death, but the likeness of his resurrection. Did you hear me? My identification is to be in the likeness of his resurrection. I died with him, but now that I've died with him, I live in the likeness of his resurrection. And let me tell you, in the likeness of his resurrection, he's doing very well. Thank you very much. He's not shook up. He's not suffering now. Hallelujah. And I'm supposed to live in the likeness of his resurrection. I go through a time of death. I go through a place of suffering as I walk this stuff out at first. And you, your flesh and everything else rails. But you get to the point where you begin to walk in the likeness of his resurrection. You begin to enjoy this life that he's given you. We're made alive with him, Colossians 2.13, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. Ephesians 2, 4 and 5, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, made us alive together with Christ by grace you've been saved. And remember, he loved you this much while you were still dead in your sins and trespasses. And like it says, if he loved you that much while you were dead, then, I mean, how shall he not also with him freely give you all things? I mean, how much does he love you now? We suffered with him, 1 Peter 2, 24. Again, I've already quoted it. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. He's done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but he lives for the will of God. Hallelujah. Now this is truth. All I'm trying to do is communicate something called truth to you. It's truth that makes you free. 
but you have a choice to believe the truth or to believe other information that comes. You hear me? Because there's other information out there. It's like the old song, whose report will you believe? I will believe the report of the Lord. There's a lot of reports. Faith comes by hearing. What you hear over and over again builds faith. If you start hearing the truth, you'll start believing the truth. But if you keep putting yourself in the environment to hear this other stuff, you're, you can't help. Your ears are going to register that. And ultimately, like we say, the ear is a spiritual gateway. This, there's something about hearing that gets into your spirit. That's why you surround yourself with faith. You get yourself, like I said, the New Testament on tape and you just play it until you drive everybody else nuts. <laughs> oh, well. So the summary of that is we're complete in Christ. We need not repeat his substitutionary work. He conquered Satan so that I could conquer Satan through him. Now I've got four minutes left. And this last one is called Satan, a defeated foe. And of course, so I want you to read this. You know, you just have to read this for yourself. He was powerless over the believer. And again, when we get to another part of the faith, uh, when I teach on faith and even some of the life of Christ, we'll cover this. So I'm not going to, if you come, I mean, you won't be hard done by. In other words, you won't not be taught this. But of course, you see that he was conquered by Christ. And you, you just read these things. And I told you already, Colossians 2.15, where it says he spoiled principalities and powers, made a show of them openly triumphant over them in it. You know what that word spoil means, that, that statement of how they would take the king in those days, line up all of his army along the, either side of a road, strip that king naked, put a chain around his neck, and walk him back and forth in front of his army saying, this is your king. The Bible says Jesus Christ spoiled Satan. <laughs> I mean, you know, he... he now in Hebrews 2:14, inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same that through death, did he go through death? That through death he might destroy. Word means to bring, to reduce to zero, to bring to naught, remember, to reduce to zero. It said that he went through death, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. 1 John 3, the second half of the verse, for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. And again, you just keep asking yourself the question, did he do this or not? You know, is it past tense or what? Powerless against believers, Luke 10, 19. This is before Jesus is resurrected. He sends the disciples out and he said, behold, I give you power to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. And, I, you know, it's amazing because remember, they came back saying, Lord, Lord, uh, have you ever really thought about that? The disciples came back. This is before Jesus had gone to the cross. And they came back saying, Lord, Lord, even the devils are subject to us in your name. Remember? And they were all shaking and going nuts about that. They thought that was so heavy. Maybe I should just stop on this because you'll read the rest anyhow there. But that's, that's to me is so heavy. The disciples come back, Lord, Lord, listen to this now. And it says they came back excited and rejoicing, going, Lord, even devils are subject to us in your name. Remember what Jesus then said? Jesus looked at him and said, boys, rejoice not that devils are subject to you. He said, behold, he said, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. <laughs> he said, when Lucifer, when Satan tried to exalt his throne above the throne of the Most High, he made the biggest mistake of his entire existence. He said, I mean, in a microsecond, God said, really? <laughs> you know, and bam, I mean, you know, he was out of it. And Jesus said, 
but I, I've always thought about it. Jesus turned to them and said, see, because today, you know, if you have a seminar on deliverance, the whole place will be packed every single time. And I'm not against it because deliverance is valid and there's needs for it at times, to say the least. But I'm saying if you say you're going to have a conference on deliverance or on the prophetic, it's normally filled up because everybody wants to see the spectacular. But Jesus Christ said, don't rejoice that serpents or the demons are subject to you. In other words, he said, of course they're subject to you. But see, this is why I harp on this stuff so much. What you believe, you empower. You've heard me say it every course. What you believe, you empower. It's out of 1 Thessalonians 2. What you believe, a line you're down for. What you believe, you empower, right or wrong. You're the one that validates it and gives it power. And so when people talk about devils all the time, they build faith in devils. But Jesus said, don't rejoice in this, that devils are subject to you. He said, I beheld Satan fall like lightning from the sky. He said he was taken care of. He said, if you're going to rejoice in anything, rejoice in this, that your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Hallelujah. That you have eternal life right here, right now. That you're born from above. Amen? Amen. So, Father, we thank you that at least we've made some headway, I pray, Father, that we'll take these eight hours and listen to this again and again and again until it strikes our own hearts. Hallelujah, that we have been made right before you by the work of your son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that we would awake unto this righteousness that we might not sin, that we would awake unto this righteousness, that a boldness of heaven would come into us, that we would recognize what is ours and recognize what is unlawful, that we would not come in our own strength but that we would surely learn to stand in your strength and in your might against all the works of the enemy. So we praise you, Father, as we walk this faith out, that you'll be with us to instruct us, to guide us, to teach us the right and the, the, the upright way, Father. And I, I love you for that. So thank you for your patience. Thank you for your long suffering. But Father, we just say again, we're here. We place ourselves in the hands of the great teacher, the Holy Spirit to guide us into more and more of this truth in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would like to obtain more teaching material by Rod Anderson, please visit www.prayerforthenations.com or call us or write to us using the contact details on your CD or cassette case.